Last week when I was talking about the burden that Christians bear, I used the verse found in Galatians chapter 6. It was verse 2 that talked about uh, carrying each other's burdens and how we as the body of Christ were meant to carry each other's burdens and help each other uh, with the struggles that we face as we try to live a life following Christ. And so when I was going to pick that verse for my sermon, and I looked it up, I did what I normally do, which is I look at the context of that verse to make sure that I'm not taking that verse out of context. And so I was reading through the first few verses of Galatians chapter 6, and originally I had intended to use a larger chunk of scripture for that uh, point I was making in the sermon, but I was reading through the first uh, 10 verses of Galatians, and I thought to myself, there is so much to unpackage in these verses that I can't really fit all of it into this one point that I'm trying to make. So I took just the second verse and used that in my sermon. And so today what I want to do is go back to that passage in Galatians chapter 6, the first 10 verses, and spend time unpacking uh, everything that is in there because there's really so much. So we're going to be going through it verse by verse and, and talking about all of the meaning behind what these verses are saying. So Galatians chapter 6, beginning in verse 1, says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. So in this first verse, the first thing I, I would like to point out is how it's implying that the person, you have one person that is caught in a sin and another person who is living by the Spirit. And so already this is making the implication that someone who is living a life of sin is not living a life led by the Holy Spirit. And that might be something that seems pretty straightforward. Yeah, if you're living in sin, you're not living by the Spirit. But that's not quite as straightforward as it might seem at first. Remember, during this time, there was a certain ideology that was kind of making the rounds among the, Christ the Christians of the early church. And that ideolo uh, ideology was called Gnosticism. And to boil it down, Gnosticism was basically the the belief that a person's body and their spirit were two separate entities. And the problems that came from that was this idea that your spirit could be right with God and your body could go and do whatever it wanted without affecting a person's spirit. So you can kind of hear in that idea some issues that would be... Uh, coming up from that ideology and, and practicing that lifestyle. Because the things that we do in our world, the things we do with our body, does in fact impact our spirit. And so whereas Gnosticism was trying to create this duality of a person's spirit being separate from their body, here in Galatians, Paul is saying, no, if, if you're living a life in sin then you cannot be living a life led by the Spirit. You can't live those two separate lives at the same time. 
you are either living one or living the other. And there's even another passage where he talks about you can't serve two masters. And it's that same kind of issue that Paul is facing here. You cannot live in a life of sin and also live led by the Spirit. And so it calls those who are living by the Spirit to restore gently people who are caught in sin. And I like that he emphasizes restoring that person gently because it's easy when you find out that someone is doing something wrong to come down really hard on them and and to really kind of beat them over the head with a stick and say, what are you doing? You're so stupid. How could you have gotten here? And forget that we ourselves are also sinners and we're not perfect and, and we needed Christ to treat us with mercy and grace while we were in our sin. So we need to uh, show that same attitude with other people and make sure that when we are restoring, restoring them back to a life of following Christ, that we are doing so in a gentle manner. And then it says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. And it's very easy to be tempted when you are helping someone else try to overcome a sin or temptation in their own life. And there's a couple reasons why this could happen. One of the things that can happen is if you're seeing somebody living in a life of sin, then mentally, like in your own mind, you have to protect yourself against this idea of, oh, well, that must be kind of a normal thing. Especially if you're helping person after person after person, and they're all dealing with the same kind of sin in their life, what could happen is that you could begin to question yourself and say, well, well, maybe this isn't sinful. Maybe, maybe this is just normal. Maybe this is just what everybody does. So would it really be so wrong if I participated in that as well? And you kind of normalize the sin instead of recognizing it as something that goes against um the the will of God. And another thing that can happen when you're trying to lead somebody out of a lifestyle of sin is that you can see that person's sinful desire being fulfilled through that sin. And if we're not careful, if that bit of sinful desire lives within us as well, we could almost feel jealous that they are able to participate in this sinful desire that we are trying to abstain from. And in that way, we can become tempted to try to um, give ourselves a pat on the back, as it were, and say, well, well, they, um, they're able to do this and do what they want, so why can't I do what I want as well? And forget that that uh, act, that sin, is leading down a life of destruction, which I talked about last week. You know, broad is the path. And wide is the gate that leads to destruction. So it's saying, you know, watch yourselves when you are helping restore other people to Christ. Be on guard so that you can fend off the same temptation that may come through that process. So all of that's in verse 1. Now let's go on verse 2, which I referenced last week. It says, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And I you know I talked quite a bit about that verse, but connecting it with verse 1. 
we see here, because verse 1 is talking about the risk that can come from helping someone deal with their temptation. And then verse 2 follows that, saying, but still do that. Still help them carry that burden. Still lead them back to a life of following Christ. And so what that verse is also calling us to do is to help others who are struggling with sin, even though there is a risk involved, even though it may be difficult for us to fend off that same temptation, it's still worth it to put ourselves into that risk in order to help someone else. And remember, it says that in doing so, we fulfill the law of Christ. And there are different aspects about the law of Christ and the new covenant that we're a part of. But just like any law, there are rules to follow. And with the law of Christ, the primary rule that we have to follow is in Matthew chapter 7, verse 12, that's often called the golden rule, which says that whatever you want other people to do for you, that that's what you should do for them. The way that you want other people to treat you, that's how you should treat other people. And remember, we have already been treated in that way. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still struggling and continue to struggle with temptation, Jesus doesn't lose hope in us, and he continues to call us into paths of righteousness. And so we want to follow that same example in the life of other people. Let's move on now to verse 3. It says, If anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. If they think they're something they're not, they deceive themselves. Now again, keeping this verse in context, we see that what it's talking about here is someone who thinks that they are living a life of righteousness while still living a life of sin. So it's continuing to address this Gnostic idea and, you know, that idea of Gnosticism and the effects of it weren't just found in the yearly church. It can also be found in churches today where people think, well, as long as I go to church and as long as I pray and as long as I read the Bible, that I am being Christ-like. And it doesn't really matter if I'm still allowing myself to participate in all of these sinful actions. And, you know, that's that's just how everybody is. Everybody's not perfect. Everybody has their own struggles. And, and this is mine. So it's okay if I'm, you know, doing all of these things, as long as I'm also living a life of righteousness. And in that way, people can sometimes convince themselves that they are being Christ-like and righteous while participating in sin. And what Paul is trying to say is that when you're doing that, you are deceiving yourselves. Because you are saying that you are righteous even though you are living in sin. And there needs to be a distinction between those two things. Because remember, the foundation of the faith that we have, it's built upon the idea of repentance. And repentance isn't just being sorry for your actions. It's not just saying, well, you know, I know this is wrong and I shouldn't be doing it, but this is where I am and so sorry about that. That's not what repentance is. Repentance is a full turning away from those things. It's saying, yes, I have made mistakes, but I am choosing to stop that. I am choosing to not continue in that sin 
I am going to turn away from it. And that doesn't mean that you don't still have moments of weakness or that you aren't still tempted by those things, but it is making a conscious decision to recognize that it is wrong and to turn away from it, not just being sorry that you are participating in it. And so we want to make sure that we don't fall into that. So the first three verses here, it's talking about how we need to avoid the trap of sin and this idea of duality uh, in our life, you know, kind of living a double life and uh, separating our spirit from our body. And that's not the case. We have to realize that that is that both of those things are a part of who we are and that the body, what is done in the body affects the spirit and what is done in the spirit affects the body. It's not separate. They are interconnected. And so we have to be wary and make sure that we are avoiding those things that are destructive to us. Now let's continue on to verse 4. It says, Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. So here we're seeing kind of a more individual stance a little bit of each person testing their own actions. And it's warning about comparing ourselves with other people. And this is also something that many believers and followers of Christ can fall into, is just trying to be better than the people who are around them. And think that that's the path to righteousness. And say, well, if I'm doing more than this other person is doing, then I'm righteous. Or if I'm avoiding certain sins and pitfalls and temptations that these other people have, then I'm being righteous. And Paul is saying, no, 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 no. That's the wrong approach to righteousness. Because you shouldn't just be comparing yourself to other people. You should be setting yourself a, a standard that is higher than that. And you should be testing not their actions, but your actions when it comes uh, to your own righteousness. Don't compare yourselves to other people. Instead, compare yourself to the call of obedience to the word of Christ that you have been called to. Because that is truly the call of righteousness for each and every one of us, is to live up to the standard that God has set for us, and are we obedient to the will of God? Are we actually doing what God is calling us to do? That's what it means to live a righteous life. Not to be better than those around us, but to be obedient in what God is calling us to, to be and to do. And so that's why it's talking about how each person should test their own actions. And then when you are obedient to Christ, there is a certain amount of pride that you can take from that. It says, then they can take pride in themselves alone. And the pride that it's talking about there isn't a, isn't a sinful pride. It's not saying, well, I've accomplished this by myself and I'm so great and I'm better than everyone else. Because remember, if you're saying I'm better than everyone else, then you are still comparing yourselves to other people. And he says, without comparing yourself to other people. 
So the kind of pride that you have in this case is not, oh, I'm better than so-and-so and placing yourself above them, but rather recognizing that through um, the perseverance and strength that Christ has given to us, that we have been obedient in doing what God has called us to do. And in that sense, we can have a bit of celebration about that because that's something that is not always easy. It's not always easy to be obedient to Christ. And so when we are able to overcome temptation, we are able able to overcome sin in our life and be obedient to what God is calling us to do, it's okay to take a little bit of pride in that of just a celebratory nature and say, thank you, God, for letting me get through that. Thank you, God, for helping me to be who you've called me to be and to do what you have called me to do. So that's what verse 4 is talking about. And then it finishes the sentence in verse 5 by saying, for each one should carry their own load. Now, last week I talked about how there are some things in scripture that at first glance seem to contradict, contradict each other. This is another one of those instances Because verse 2 is talking about how we need to carry each other's burdens. And then verse 5 says, for each one should carry their own load. So you might ask yourself, well, which is it? Should we be helping each other carry our burdens? Or should we just be carrying our own burden? And the answer to that question is yes, both of those things. Because we have to realize that this is a separate issue um, from verse 2. Verse 2 is specifically calling us to help each other carry, to, to help other people carry the burdens that they have. And while that is still in effect, this verse is now tackling a separate issue and saying, but while you are helping other people carry their burdens, make sure that you are not neglectful of the burden that you are to be carrying of that call to obedience that you should be walking in. In other words, what it's trying to say is that you need to take responsibility for your own uh, walk of faith, and that you shouldn't just then be passing off that ability to other people. We also see this same idea referenced in Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, which calls for people to work out their own salvation. And that doesn't mean that that salvation is coming from works. It's not saying that you have to do a bunch of right things in order to receive salvation. What that verse is saying is take the faith that you have, which is about a belief in and loyalty to God, and walk in that. Let that faith that you have be shown through the life that you live. And don't just expect other people to take care of your discipleship. Don't just expect the pastor of your church to be responsible for teaching you the word of God. That's something that you should be carrying the load of because you are responsible for it. And one of the things that I think a lot of Christians in today's world struggle with is trying to look for other people to take, and other people and other things to take responsibility for their actions. And I might talk more about that in in a different sermon. But what this verse is saying is, no, no, no. You are responsible for your relationship with Christ. 
You are responsible for the life that you live. So take responsibility for it instead of passing it off to someone else. And that's separate from it's from other people or believers helping other believers carry their problems. So it's not saying you can't receive help from other people. It's saying that do your part in that and don't just expect other people to do all that work for you. There's a certain amount of responsibility that you have to take. And that's why verse 6 then starts with the word nevertheless. It says, nevertheless, the one who receives instruction in the word should share all good things with their instructor. So again, this is now saying, yes, you need to be carrying your burden, but there are also times when other people will come along and help you carry your burden as they are called to do in verse 2 of this chapter. And so it says, when that happens, make sure that you are sharing all good things with them. And so what this is talking about is showing thankfulness to the people who come alongside of you and help you carry the burdens that you bear. And not just saying, you know, well, here you go, right? Passing off that responsibility to them and, and okay, tell me what I need to believe and, and tell me what I need to do and and. All of my relationship with God is going to be determined by what you say. No, no, no. You take the responsibility, and when other people come along and help you with that, show them how thankful you are for that. Show them that gratitude. Thank them. And then you can share even more with them, because if they're helping you carry your burden, obviously you're already sharing your troubles and temptations and your weaknesses with them, but make sure that that's not all you're sharing with them because that can wear them down. Instead, you also want to be sharing the joys that you have, the successes that you have in this process, and that can be encouraging to them. And especially speaking from somebody that has been on the other side of that numerous times, when you're trying to help somebody overcome sin in their life and and fight against temptation, and you're hearing just over and over again about how they failed and how they messed up and how they're still struggling, it can be really hard sometimes to keep the motivation and, and perseverance to continue to help that person when all you're hearing is that they aren't getting anywhere. And so if that person then comes to you and says, hey, you know, I did that thing that you taught me to do, and it helped, and I was able to resist that temptation during that time. Well, then you, as a person who helped them, is excited for them and able to celebrate with them, and you're encouraged by that. So make sure that when you are receiving help from other people, that you're not just sharing the negative aspects of that situation, but you're sharing the positive aspects of that situation as well, in order to simply encourage them in the work that they are doing in your life. So in verses 4 through 6, what we have taking place here, and the lesson we're learning from it, is that we have to take responsibility for our faith from a biblically personal standard. And that personal, biblical personal standard is one of obedience. 
take responsibility for your faith by walking in obedience to God no matter what else anybody around you is doing. That is the responsibility that you bear. So now let's go on to verse 7 as we move into this next section. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So this verse is essentially saying, God has set up a certain order to this world. And in that order, when we walk in the will of God, it leads us to blessings. It leads us down paths of righteousness. But when we reject what God is trying to tell us and we live a life of sin, that it will ultimately lead to destruction. And what this verse is saying is that there's no way to cheat that system that God has put into place. You cannot live a life of sin and expect destruction to never come and expect blessings to come in the midst of that sinful walk. It simply isn't going to happen. And you might say, well, you know, there's this certain area that, you know, I, I have not done what the Bible tells me to do, and I haven't encountered destruction yet. I haven't uh, encountered any troubles that have come from that. And if that's your mentality, let me know that that destruction will eventually come. Those consequences are just around the corner. You can't fend them off forever. That's what this verse is saying. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. There is no way to cheat the system. And even if it's not seen immediately, sin always comes with consequences. Whether now or later, it always shows up. So then verse 8 says, Whoever sows to please their flesh, which is that sinful nature, from the flesh will reap destruction. And then it says, Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. So now what we're seeing in this is not only are there going to be consequences uh, from living a life of sin, but also you can receive blessings from a life of faithfulness and obedience to God. So it's not only consequences that come from our mistakes, right? It's, only, it's not only negative things for negative actions. It's also positive things for positive actions and blessings that we can receive as we obey God and as we walk according to his will, that those good things can come as well. And so when we're sowing those seeds of sinfulness, we will reap the consequences. When we're sowing those seeds of the Spirit and obedience, we will re uh, receive the blessings that come from that. And it says that from the Spirit, we will reap eternal life. And of course, that is talking about, you know, as we pass from this world and go into the next world, uh, that, that we go to heaven and we be with God and have eternal life with God in heaven. But it's also important for us to realize, and when I think of eternal life, I don't think of just eternal life in heaven. I also think of an eternal life here in this world. And what I mean by that is not that we will never physically die, but rather that we have a kind of life 
that would be able to continue to flourish as it goes on. Because if you live a life of sin and and you're meeting those destructive consequences as you go along, that life will only get worse and worse and worse as you go along until really it's not much life at all anymore. But when you walk with obedience to God, what you get is a life that continues to flourish, a life that continues to be full of blessings and fulfillment, and it's a lifestyle that could continue for all of eternity and continue to flourish. And that's the kind of life that God is calling us to here in this world, is a life that could go on for all of, eternal, of eternity. It is an eternal life that will continue to flourish. And again, it only comes by walking in the Spirit. So then verse 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. So this verse is telling us the results of whether or not we're walking a sinful life or a spirit-led life. You're probably not going to see the results one way or the other immediately. It's going to take time, right? Just like if you plant a seed in the ground, it's not going to spring up immediately. It takes time before you will see the fruit of that plant. In the same way, when we live a life following the Spirit, we have to recognize that it will take time and patience for those life results to be seen. But what then is encouraging is to know that those results will come eventually. And if we can remember the kind of harvest that we want to have, a harvest of blessings and eternal life, rather than a, bless, uh, a harvest of destruction, that that's what we continue to sow. And that when we remember that that is what we're striving for, and that it will come eventually, then that conti can continue to motivate us to persevere in those acts of righteousness. And then finally, verse 10 says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So this whole conversation that Paul is having about carrying each other's burdens and, and helping save one another from the traps of sin and this dual mindset and calling people into a lifestyle uh, that is according to God's will so they can receive the blessings from that lifestyle, that that isn't just for people who are believers. That should extend to people who are outside of the church as well. Do good to all people. Help carry the burdens of all people. And then he says, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Because here's the thing. If we're not able to take this principle and apply it to people who are our brothers and sisters in Christ, people that we are close to, that we see on a regular basis, that we care about uh, deeply because we've shared our life with them, if we're not able to apply this principle with them, there is no way we will be able to apply it to those who are strangers and those that we encounter 
throughout our day as we walk through this world. So it has to begin with those who are around us in the body of Christ already. That is the starting point. So remember to carry each other's burdens in the church so that you can get the training that you need to carry the burdens of those outside of the church as well. And so verses 7 through 10 are teaching us to maintain a focus on the future effects that we are striving for. So in all of these verses together, what we see as far as pursuing righteousness in a sinful world is that we pursue that righteousness by helping each other avoid sin and practice obedience as we keep our eyes on the future. And this is all a part of carrying each other's burdens and making sure that we are also taking responsibility for our own burdens as well, looking forward to that harvest of blessings and helping others to strive for that both inside of the church and out. And that is what we are called to do, to lead a life of righteousness in a sinful world. So this has been another Sermon in the Pocket. As always, if you have any comments or questions about anything I've talked about, you can contact me through the uh, Sermon in the Pocket Facebook page or email me directly at sermoninthepocket at gmail.com. And I encourage you to share this with other people to help get the message out there. But until next time, this has been another Sermon in the Pocket, and I pray that God will bless you as you go throughout your day. Thank you.